morning, friends. It's a blessing to be with you this morning. You guys are all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Good night's rest. <laughs> Maybe not. Well, no. Okay. Well, thank the Lord we're all here together. Uh, we are uh, in our series in the book of Revelation chapter 11, and we are going through verses 15 through 19 this morning. <clears throat> if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in one of the chairs close to you in front of you. You can open it up there. It's the last book in the New Testament. Yeah. Let's read that together as we continue on in the revealing of the glory of Jesus Christ. Revelation 11, verse 15. Then the angel, the seventh angel, blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God, they fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, oh, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your saints, the prophets, or your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. That is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word that we just sang uh, what a blessing it is to be able to sing your praises, these truth, the truths that give us hope, that give us endurance, that give us encouragement in the midst of a challenging life, uh, the joy and trials and the tears. God, we thank you that we have this firm foundation, that every morning your faithfulness, we see it every day. You are so good. You are so kind. Lord, as was mentioned, your word is fixed, and we just, we just thank you. Thank you that your word is firm, that we can trust in your word, that it will not change. It endures forever. So I pray as we come to your word this morning that you would give us faith in you. I pray that you would allow your word to take root in our hearts, to build in us greater trust in you a greater hope in you, a greater endurance through trials, to trust in you with obedience, with joy, even in suffering. Help us to remain faithful to you when it is not popular. I pray that you'd help us to see you as greater than anything in this world, any comfort, any praise, any pleasure, that, Lord, that you would grow bigger in our hearts and our minds and our lives, that you would be the king of our hearts. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen. 
Well, I know you all have had difficult times in your life. You've probably went through different seasons that were challenging. And what has helped you make it through the hard times or the hard times? You're thinking about what helps you get through it when you're in the middle of it, when it's dark, when it's hard, what has helped you? How can a person persevere or endure when they're facing intense stress? Let's say you're in college. I just noticed that a lot of our college students are gone, but we got some. Yes. Maybe you're in finals week or you're in midterms, getting ready for graduation, and it's just like the assignments are piling up, the deadlines are on the horizon, and it feels like your chest is being squeezed in. You got tests to study for, you got caffeine fueled all nighters. Everything in you wants to give up, to go to sleep, to throw in the towel. I know the feeling. <laughs> it's like, please, let me go to sleep. And I got an exam coming up. Um, or let's say you've got an extremely busy week at work and it feels like you won't be able to complete everything that you know you have to do for the deadlines. I'm sure as a farmer, you, those, those seasons come a couple times a year. Pretty hectic, pretty stressful, pretty hard. I can list a thousand scenarios, but I'm sure each person here has, has thought back as you're thinking about these difficulties to the circumstances that cause your, your chest to tighten. You're like, ugh, squeezing in. Maybe your mouth is dry. The circumstances that make you wonder, Lord, how are you going to get me through this? How can I get through this? As I was pondering this question, to make it through times of intense stress, we need to know that what we are doing is worth the effort. It's worth it. We have to know it's worth it. That it's not pointless. That it's not meaningless. That it's worth the pain that we're putting into it. We need to have hope that there's something good after this work, after this trial, after this season. And it's, it's really helpful to see that light at the end of the tunnel that there is a reward coming, that even though we don't feel it right now, but there's something good waiting for me at the end of this trial, at the end of this work. As I was thinking about this, as I look back on some of my life, the most, I think some of the most refreshing and joyful moments I have experienced where I just feel really good is when I finished a very long and difficult accomplishment. And I pressed on in the midst of it, I endured through the challenge, I made it to the goal. Man, that feels good. It's like, oh, just, just the rest, the burden's gone, the relief that you feel. And during those difficult times, I found it helpful to remember that those, the difficulty, the tribulation, it won't last forever. You know, as I thought about these ideas of finals week, I knew, okay, I finals week, but wait a minute, I can look at the syllabus. It's only two weeks. Two weeks I'm going to be done with this. I'm going to be on summer vacation. These two weeks are going to be dreadful. But after that, I'm going to be able to take a nice long nap. As we think of the book of Revelation, one of the big purposes I think of the book is to give us hope and perseverance in our trials. For example, in the opening verses of the book, John says he, the apostle John, is also He's experiencing intense suffering and tribulation. Remember, the Apostle John was old, and he was, because of his faith in Jesus, was exiled onto an island and, uh, where prisoners were kept. I don't know 
exactly what it was like, but I'm pretty sure that he didn't have the same comforts that we have in our nice, warm, king-size beds. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and, and the Roman Empire exiled an uh, old man suffering alone on an island that's meant to make people suffer. He says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos. Why? On the account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Why was he suffering? Because of the word of God, because he was going to be faithful to the testimony of Jesus, even if that meant he had to suffer and die, even when he was old. He didn't get to retire and pick up seashells. John was enduring the suffering as he wrote this book. And many of the first believers to read this letter were also suffering under the Roman emperor. They were suffering for their faith in Jesus. And today, even though we don't feel it as much physically, there are also Christians suffering in their faith like John physically. One recent study explains this uh, from Open Doors International. In 2022... Open Doors International said that at least 360 million Christians experienced, quote, high levels of persecution and discrimination. This was 20 million higher than 2021. The group also estimated that the number of Christians killed for their faith rose to 5,898 in 2022, up from 4,761 in 21. Afghanistan, North Korea, Somalia, Libya, and Yemen saw the highest rates of persecution globally. Persecution included instances of intimidation, disinformation, stereotyping, legal threats, and attacks on places of worship. You know, in America, we are, we are not immune from suffering, even though it might feel like it sometimes. We're not immune from suffering for being a Christian. And we may not currently face this physical, like, life-threatening persecution that some believers are facing around the world. You may not be facing martyrdom. But the devil is not just giving us a free pass. We are told that he is still roaming. He is roaming. He's seeking someone to devour, and he wants to devour us. And he's, he's doing it in a way that may look a little bit different than he may be doing it in Somalia. He's devouring us through comfort, through materialism, through high-paying jobs, through entertainment, through pleasure, through sexual addiction, through anything we can do to satisfy self. His aim is to get us to give up our faith in Christ or to get us to give in to moral compromise. He can just kind of make us be on the sidelines, get out of the game, not really have a strong faith in Christ or witness because we're just indulging ourselves constantly, watching TV, medicating ourselves so we don't feel any pain, we don't think about the suffering in the world, that we don't actually reach out and help anybody other than just care about our own comfort. Now, as I was thinking about this, what is the devil doing to, to, to persecute us? He is persecuting us, and I think maybe this physical persecution may actually increase. I believe as Christians, we should expect that persecutions and sufferings are going to increase. And if you're watching the news, you're probably seeing it increase. Religious freedoms being challenged and Christians being persecuted. I think... Greater persecution is on the horizon for us. But the possibility of this growing persecution is not meant to cause us to fear. 
I'm not saying this to make you be afraid uh, to start being anxious. God calls us to be ready. He calls us to be ready. He calls us to pray. He calls us to be more zealous about completing the mission, to tell the world about Jesus, the good news of Jesus, even if it means suffering. And from the beginning, God's people have suffered and have been called to endure the suffering for Jesus. Jesus, our Savior, He gave us the example. He suffered. He was hated. He was crucified. And He even promised to His disciples, He said, if the world hates me, they are going to hate you. So why should we not experience suffering in America? Why should we not experience? This is what Jesus promised his disciples. If they hated me, they are going to hate you. John 15. As you see from Scripture, though, Jesus' suffering was temporary. Thankfully, his suffering was temporary. And not only that, but it had a goal. There was a purpose. Hebrews 12, 2, it tells us this for the, catch this word, joy. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He couldn't stand the shame. But now he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, he conquered our greatest enemies, death, sin, and Satan. And he did it to accomplish joy. He endured for joy. Our joy and his joy. But what gives us, what gives me and you uh, strength to endure our suffering, our trials, which may look very different than Jesus's on the cross, but what can help us to keep going when it gets hard, to keep persevering in the name of Jesus? Is it not the reality that Jesus is worth it? Jesus is worth it. I don't know what you're suffering now or what you may suffer, but it's good to remember that Jesus is worth it every ounce of the suffering that you're going to go through. He is the happily ever after waiting for all who trust in Him. And believe me, it is far better than any happy ending Disney or Hollywood could ever conjure up. It's way better. It is worth it. Jesus is worth it. We believe that Jesus is the King of the universe. He is the Son of God. We believe that God is the true creator and the ruler of all things. We believe God is worthy of all worship. We believe that God has promised a wonderful, wonderful future of rest and joy, happiness for all who trust in Him. Beloved, we believe there is no greater treasure in all the world than our God, Jesus Christ, and it is totally worth it to exchange everything in this life to gain Jesus, even if that means death and torture. Jesus is worth it. But as we know, we are not at that happy ending yet. We're not there yet. We're still living in this world, a world that is full of violence, suffering, and injustice, a world system that is opposed to God. And and you don't have to listen to the news very long to remember that this world is not all that it's meant to be. Can I get an amen? <laughs> I mean, you feel it. You feel it everywhere. You hear it. We hear mass shootings in schools. This world is broken. 
what, what is wrong with this world that they would, someone would do that? There's war and racial violence and political corruption. There's celebration of sexual sin, greed, and pride. And through the book of Revelation, we've read that in this world, followers of Jesus will need perseverance. We will need endurance to stay faithful to Christ in this world because it is hard. The passage that we come to is we're looking at today, Revelation 11, 14 through 19. I think that this passage is the fuel that helps a believer faithfully persevere through persecution. I believe this passage is one of the little pieces of fuel that God helps us. It is, it is the light at the end of the tunnel. So, uh, you know, if this was a movie, I'd just give you a spoiler alert. (laughs) Our passage today, it jumps ahead and it tells us the end of the story before we get there. And what's the end of the story? God wins. God wins. And not only that, he perfectly judges the wicked and graciously rewards his people. And this is what we need to know to faithfully endure trials. To patiently endure suffering for Jesus, we need to know that God wins. If you are being suffer, if you're being tortured or persecuted, you need to know it's going to last a little while. My God is going to save me. He owns my body and soul. He will protect me in life and in death. There's nothing that this world can do to me because my God is the king of the universe and he is for me. God will reward his people. He will destroy the wicked. We need to know that God is coming to make everything right soon. Our text today is sandwiched between two sections that describe a great deal of suffering for followers of Jesus. So what helps God's people endure this suffering? I think it's this. So let's look at this passage. And in this suffering, this persecution for God's people, God gives John a look into what is happening in heaven when the angel blows his seventh trumpet. So the seventh trumpet, this final seventh trumpet. Let's look here at verse 15. Actually, these, these, as we look at this first three, uh, context here, what's happening in this passage? We see worshipers celebrating. In the midst of persecution on earth, worshipers are celebrating. Verses 15 through 16, it says God's, what, what are they celebrating? God's perfect eternal reign, his rule. He is the king. Number two, they're celebrating God's perfect judgment, verses 17 and 18. God is going to judge. Number three, God's promise of eternal presence in verse 19. So as we think about this passage, I'm trying to help us understand it. When does this passage take place? What is the timing of all of it? First, as I wrestled with trying to understand this myself, I think the best way to understand this passage here is to understand that the seventh trumpet has not yet happened in human history. The seventh trumpet hasn't happened, in my opinion. It is still future to us. The seventh trumpet, the last final trumpet, has not blown yet. Second, in the chronology of the book of Revelation, I think the seventh trumpet blast here is from heaven's perspective. It's heaven's perspective. After this, here in Revelation 11, 
we will see the effects of the seventh trumpet taking place. We'll see that God gives more space to explaining the, the judgment that comes from the seventh trumpet, the things that happen in the middle of this final trumpet blast, all the way up to chapter 22. This is the seventh trumpet, the final. This is the end of the story. But if you think about this passage, it's almost like a short summary of the return of Christ, the final judgment, and His perfect eternal reign. Like the Cliff Notes versions. So let's look at verse 15. And notice, God will eternally rule over His world. Look at this in verse 15. The seventh angel blew his trumpet. The final trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven. This is a little bit different than what happened in chapter 8. Remember that? The seventh seal was opened and there was silence for about half an hour. It's a little bit different. With all the judgment that the previous six trumpets blasts have brought, you might expect here that the seventh trumpet would instantly bring more devastating wrath and judgment upon the earth. But instead of seeing more fierce judgment fall, we see loud celebrations in heaven again. See this celebration of the, the heavenly beings giving praise. This is the sound of myriads upon myriads of saints and angels shouting, Victory! Victory! They've been waiting for so long, and this is the shout, this is the cry, this is the cry of victory. They're saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Why the shout? Because, because of the sin and the fall, our, our world system is temporarily influenced and held captive by the powers of evil and is in opposition to the reign of God. And as we think about how this all works with the cross, Christ's work on the cross, His resurrection and ascension, He began His heavenly reign. He is seated at the right hand of, of the Father. And He is even reigning in our hearts and our lives. He set us free from sin. And He's freed us from the consequences of death. But when this seventh trumpet blasts, Jesus will come back from heaven to earth to take over the world that is rightly His. He will end all the reign of sin once and for all. He will end death once and for all, and He will do away with Satan and every demonic force that opposes Him and is against His people. Here at this last trumpet, the saints and the angels are saying that God has established His eternal rule over the cosmos or over the world. He has overcome every power of evil, every other thing that, that opposes Him. Jesus wins. This is the prayer, the, the answer of the prayer, thy kingdom come, thy kingdom come and thy will be done on heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. This is the day, this is the summary of that happening. And as loud voices in heaven announce the rule and the reign of the Father and the Son over the world, John sees these 24 elders again seated on their throne. In verse 16, look at what they do. Before God, they fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, we give thanks to you. And that's what we're going to do. When we get there, we will say, we give thanks to you. 
We give thanks to you. We know that it's not us. We are sinful, fallen, weak people. We deserve your judgment. And you have shown us great love and mercy. We give thanks to you, Lord God, almighty, omnipotent, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power. You have taken your great power, and now you have begun to reign. And you might have noticed something a little different here about the threefold title of God that was used back in chapter 4, verse 8. Back there it said, who was and who is and who is to come. What does it say right here in verse 17? We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, omnipotent creator, who is and who was and who... Wait a minute. Who is and who was and is reigning. He is reigning. Something's missing. He's not to come. He's there. He's here is what it's saying. This is when he comes. There's no future waiting on the return of Christ and God's rule and reign. He, he is. He was. And after the seventh trumpet, his eternal perfect reign has begun. I think we all feel this world is broken. Don't you feel it? Do you feel it? Every day we read about heartbreak, tragedy, brokenness. Not only is the world outside there broken, but my heart is broken. My body is broken. I'm sure you feel that as well. It's achy. Our families are broken. We fight. We have a, this blessing of a family that God's given us. We have this wonderful opportunity to sit at the dinner table and we fight. It's broken. We wish that it would not be this way. Why do we have anger? Why do we have sorrow? Why do we have anxiety? We, why do we have stress and worry? And we think about brokenness inside. We have brokenness in relationships. And for some of you, it might physically hurt to live. It might physically hurt to live. You know, as I was thinking about the brokenness of this world at the conference we went to this weekend with the youth, I learned a heartbreaking and horrible statistic that over 1 million children, 99% of them are girls, are exploited by sex trafficking. And $99 billion is generated by sex traffickers each year. $11 million every hour is generated by sex trafficking of these young girls. These children have been kidnapped, and they're experiencing a living hell. They're trapped. God sees the horrible injustice. His heart breaks for them. And thankfully, in this broken world, God is, is, is raising up people to be his hands and feet, to go in there and to rescue them, to set them free and to fight for them. That's a broken world we live in. We feel the truth of Romans 8. All creation groans under the corruption and suffering of this broken world. The world, the flesh, and the devil are cruel kings. And when King Jesus comes back, child traffickers, beware. Johns, beware. You are messing with Jesus' kids. And he is coming back. He is bringing fierce wrath and judgment. And this is not how it's meant to be. 
and it's not how it will always be. Jesus has overcome the world, he tells us, and he is coming back to take what is rightfully his. So if the darkness is closing in around you, remember that your king is coming. The king is coming. Rescue is on the way. He will save you in life and in death, in your body and your soul. And one day this suffering will be over and we, like the 24 elders, will be full of gratitude and thanksgiving for what God has done and we will fall on our faces. That will be the most natural and the most enjoyable, the most fun thing we'll ever do when we fall down at the feet of Jesus on our face and we say, we give thanks to you. We didn't deserve it, but you gave us your great love. As we move into verse 18, we see another reason heaven is celebrating the seventh trumpet. This is very close to the last reason. Let's read verses 17 and 18. The nations raged. And don't we see that? The nations raging against God. The nations raged, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding, rewarding your servants, rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Again, here it's, it's speaking in past tense as if it's happened already. As a result of the seventh trumpet, the 24 elders continue to give thanks to God for his perfect rule and not only his kingly rule and reign, but his perfect judgment. He's the perfect judge. And this, this passage quotes Psalm 2. Uh, and in that psalm, if you go back to it, verses 1 and 3, it describes what life is currently like on earth. The nations, the kings, they're all conspiring against God. Like, how could we're raging against God? We think we can win. But no. No, they can't. There is no, there is no way they can win. Psalm 2, 4 through 5 says, He who sits in the heavens laughs. He laughs at them in their pride and arrogance, thinking that they can defeat him. All God has to do is speak a word. He will terrify them. And undo them completely. The nations are raging against God. There is no Christian nation. Maybe you've heard a friend or relative think longingly about the, about the past. Maybe you, uh, as you lament the, the political system, you wish that we could go back. Maybe I wish we could go back sometimes to the Bush years. I really liked President Bush. He was really cool. Or go back to the Reagan years. Maybe you like Ronald Reagan. I don't know. But as for myself, I want to go forward. Let's go forward. Let's go forward. I want to go to the Jesus years. <laughs> Let's go to King Jesus' reign, right? In every age, the nations have raged since the fall. This world has been opposed to God, raging against God, and we see it. And no matter how strong they are, no matter how fierce they rage against God, they are no match for God. He wins. Here at the last trumpet, God's appointed time, this season, God's wrath will be revealed against all who oppose him in fierce judgment, in fierce judgment to those who reject him. And loving salvation to all who serve him. God is not simple in a way that he's just like a, he is like, it's like he's all, always singing the same tune. He's rich and complex. He has great love, 
greatest love, greater than anything in all the world. But he also has fierce wrath and justice. Notice God will raise the dead and judge everyone here in our passage. I think there's a saying is what you do matters. We are not robots. We're not fatalists. What you do matters. God will judge everybody. Notice here also that God's servants are rewarded. Who are these servants? Verse 18 tells us they are the small and the great. They are those who fear God. God does not discriminate. He loves everybody. Everyone who comes to Him in faith, small and the great, kings and the seemingly nobodies. The Bible says that our deeds can't save us at the judgment. Our deeds can't save us. So it's not our works that save us from condemnation. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of our sin, we all sin, is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is a free gift that God's offering, that Jesus worked for on the cross. He worked. He had the perfect deeds. He has the perfect record. He's holding out to you as a free gift of forgiveness and salvation at this coming judgment. And later, Paul says in Romans 10, explains that this free gift is accepted, that God's holding out to you. Here it is. Forgiveness. Acceptance at the judgment. So how do you receive it? Well, we receive it by faith in Jesus. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved on this day. So if you trust in Jesus as your Lord, you will not only be safe in the judgment to come, but you will have great joy. You will stand in the judgment with great joy And you will be rewarded by God himself. There's a reward for the people of God. Don't forget that. I don't have time to unpack it all. Maybe just think about rewards. Go back in your Bible, your concordance, or Google. Search rewards. What does Jesus say? What does the whole Old Testament say about when God comes, the rewards he's going to give to his people? When Jesus comes, the rewards he's going to give to his people. Throughout the New Testament, even Revelation, God promises us rewards. But not everyone will stand and enjoy the judgment of God. The text says God will destroy the destroyers of the earth. Now, I don't think this is talking about those who are not working for PETA or not animal rights activists. Um, You kind of read it, you're like, oh, is that talking about people who pollute the earth, you know, like physically? No, I think what this is saying is that this is talking, it's a kind of a picture of, of moral and spiritual pollution. Um, those who corrupt the world, who continue to rebel against God by their moral and sinful acts, injecting more and more evil and wickedness into this world by their rebellion against God, they're destroying the world. They're destroying this, this, this uh, earth morally and spiritually. All who sin who are earning death, that's everybody, not just the very bad people, but everybody. It's it's the same idea that we see in Genesis, 
where the people were so sinful and corrupt that God had to wash away the sin with the flood. They had corrupted the earth. So much sin that God had to come and wash it away. So this is speaking of people who rebel against God and pollute the world with their actions, sinful actions. Now, as I was pondering these two outcomes in judgment, you have the rewards for God's servants, and you have the destruction of the destroyers. These two things could not be more different. These two things could not be more different. If you think about it on a, uh, you know, like a spectrum, you have the middle. Reward goes that way eternally. And the joy is eternal. Paradise. You can't, we can't even comprehend the joy, the beauty of God, the satisfaction we'll have, the happiness we'll have forever. The line goes that way into eternity and never stops of joy. And we keep experiencing more joy in the presence of God eternally, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Always joy, 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 happiness, satisfaction. Yes, I feel rest. I feel good. On the other side of the spectrum, it couldn't be more worse. I can hardly imagine eternal joy and rewards from God. I can't even comprehend that. Think about it that way. We know what it's described, hell's described in the Bible as a place of torment where the, you're not quenched, the worm does not die, the fire does not end, the smoke rises up forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, eternal conscious punishment. I was trying to think about this. I was, this for some reason, this, this hit me last week. At death, that's it. When you die, these are the two options. And if I'm going this way at death, there's no hope. There's no hope left. If I die and I'm that way, there's no hope. That is complete hopelessness. And for me, one of the things, I get a little claustrophobic, and like whenever I get in a tight space, my, my chest feels a little scared, and I want to get out. I remember when I was a kid, I'd wrestle my friends, and he'd hold me down, and I'd be like, I got it, just let me go. I'd start getting kind of claustrophobic, and I'd get scared. I couldn't wait to, for him to let me go. But if you're going that way, there is no letting go. There is no freedom from, oh, relief. It's always getting worse. And no hope eternally. Let that grip you. That's a huge spectrum. It could not be any more different. Today, let me plead with you, if you haven't decided to follow Jesus, don't let that be your outcome. Please don't let that be your outcome. If you have friends and family that need to tell about Jesus, tell them about Jesus. Tell them about the good news that forgiveness is available, that life is available. Today, you can be saved from the wrath of God. He wants to forgive you. He has the gift. He's holding it out and saying, please take it. Please take it in faith. Trust him. Trust Jesus to be your master. He is a good master. He is a good king. He's not cruel. 
He loves you. Trust in him. I plead with you, trust in him. Lastly, and very briefly, verse 19, then God's temple in heaven was opened, the ark of his covenant. This is interesting. The ark of his covenant was seen in the temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. This last element seemed a little bit confusing to me, and as I was thinking about it, the, the, the vision that came into my mind was the Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. And the last moment, when the Nazis were there, and they cracked it open, and their faces melted off. <laughs> Remember that part? If you haven't seen it, kids, tell your parents you should watch it. It was awesome. <laughs> so good. I don't think that's exactly what's happening here, but it's close. Um, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you understand that the, 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 the open up the temple, if you open the tabernacle temple, if you could open up the very holiest place, the most innermost place in the temple, that was where the Ark of the Covenant was at. So what was so special about this Ark of the Covenant? Well, you have these little angels, the cherubim, and right there, the mercy seat was where symbolically God was. He sat down and he ruled. It was like it was a symbol of his presence. And you remember the Old Testament when, they, when the, God's presence descended into the tabernacle through a cloud? It's like that, that was, if you could open up the, the curtain, that would be seeing God in a way, a symbolic of seeing God himself. The Ark of the Covenant was nothing to be played around with as you read the Old Testament. God's presence was symbolized here. It was the basis of Israel's victory over his enemies. They'd take the ark into, into battle sometimes, and they'd win. Also, his presence is seen in the storm. Think about Mount Sinai when he came down with Moses, rumbling and the smoke and the earthquake and the trumpet blasts and the hail. That's what's happening here, similar to what's happening here. Down on earth, God's people are suffering, but in heaven, God's presence is about ready to descend and to bring strong salvation for his people. That's a picture I think an Israelite would understand when they saw the heaven open and the ark and the storm. All right. So as we wrap it up, this last blast of the seventh trumpet is meant to show us that God's victory and our victory is guaranteed. God's rule will soon be established on earth, despite how bad it currently looks. And, this, and the light is at the end of the tunnel. We know the end of the story. So we can sing and celebrate even in our current trials because we know that the Lord, all-powerful, almighty, he is for us and he must win the battle. So brothers and sisters, as you endure trials, as you face persecution, as it, as it may come, remember there's eternal joy beyond all comparison waiting for those who follow King Jesus. We patiently endure because we know there is no greater treasure, there's no greater joy than what is waiting for us. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this vision of heaven. We pray that it would give us endurance and patience in the midst of difficult, our difficulties in life. Pray, Lord, that as we are enduring, that we would lay aside every weight and every sin that clings so closely to us, 
Give us strength to run with endurance the race that is set before us, that you, God, have put us on, each individually. Help us to look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, and let us be like him. Let us see his joy, the joy that was set before him as he endured the cross, as he despised the shame. Help us to remember now that he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Help us, Lord, not to grow weary and faint-hearted. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.